A new mission just launched that will search for signs of life on Mars. A manifesto reveals that we're all either Martians in disguise or we're at risk of being controlled by these hypersexual aliens. And what does punk rock have to do with UFOs? It's all right now on UFO Mod Pod. Hello, friends, and welcome to UFO Mod Pod. I'm Jason McClellan. I'm Ryan Sprague. And I'm Maureen Ellsbury. Thanks so much for joining us again. Like always, let's get this show started by discussing some of the UFO-related stories that have been in the news lately. We'll start by discussing a new mission that just launched that could provide additional evidence supporting the notion that Mars is home to alien life. The joint Europe-Russia ExoMars mission Blasted off from Kazakhstan on March 14th, the ExoMars spacecraft is on its way to the Red Planet, and when it reaches Mars in seven months, its two instruments will go to work. The Trace Gas Orbiter will search for methane and other possible signs of life in Mars's lower atmosphere, while the Schiaparelli module will demonstrate entry, descent, and landing technology for a Mars rover mission scheduled for 2018. This module will also conduct several environmental studies while on the surface. The module will reach the Martian surface in less than six minutes, but it's going to take a lot longer for the Trace Gas Orbiter to begin its work. It has to spend an entire year in orbit, which will gradually bring the craft down to the lower atmosphere where it can begin its work. The craft will also photograph the planet's surface, specifically targeting features that might be the source of gases like volcanoes. So this is a a cool effort, a cool joint effort between the ESA and Roscosmos um, I'm glad they're working together. I'm glad they're going and trying to get more information. But again, we, we've, we've seen so many missions already that have done uh, testing and determined that uh, there's methane there but and other things that have been found by uh, rovers on the surface. But there's always that little bug, for lack of a better word, that comes up where they say, yeah, that's cool, but we think it's probably contamination from the craft for, or from the rover itself. It's always Mm. going to be that contamination issue that could potentially be the source of whatever is being found. So, again, until we get boots on the ground there and people actually like conducting experiments on the surface, there will always be some question as to what is discovered. But I'm excited for the uh, rover that they have planned for 2018. I haven't looked that much into it, but I know that they planned to drill farther into the surface than any other previous mission. And that's fantastic. I mean, the, the drilling that's been done already has barely breached the surface. And uh, this drill that's going to be equipped on the 2018 rover is supposed to go quite deep. Not extremely deep, but uh, significantly deeper than the drills that have gone before. Hopefully getting down to where there will likely be some evidence of past life. Lava tubes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, they that that's the thing. I mean, they... Man, they really need to design a rover that they could cruise in there like a remote control car and just like zip into some of the tunnels and stuff. They'll find stuff. That's where all the good stuff's waiting. (laughs) Or all the most terrifying stuff. Or the terrifying stuff. You never know. They'd roll a rover in there and it wouldn't come out. (laughs) There's been a lot of movies about uh, life in uh, underground tunnels that might make you rethink uh, wanting to go in. Very good point. According to uh, 
somebody, well, according to a lot of people, but uh, someone who's been in the news recently believes that's uh, happening and happening here on Earth. <laughs> you probably heard about this strange story. A man from Idaho was recently arrested after he shot someone, then raced to the White House to deliver a message to President Barack Obama. This guy's name is Kyle Odom, and he claims he killed people, but it's okay because they were aliens from Mars. And he was in D.C. to deliver a list to President Obama of Congress members who are Martians. This is a pretty wild case, but uh, here's a quick summary of what happened. On Sunday, March 6th, Odom shot the pastor of a church in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. The next day, he took off for D.C., where he was picked up by Secret Service after he tossed something over the fence at the White House. Documents and a flash drive containing his 43-page manifesto. He also sent this manifesto to his parents and to Idaho TV stations. This manifesto is pretty wild. It's, it's filled with uh, wild and disturbing stuff. And it's interesting that he felt the need to put together this manifesto that apparently he spent a lot of time on. So I'm just going to go through and highlight some of the things right now in this 43-page manifesto. It kind of gives a, a look inside the head of this guy, and uh, some of the claims he makes are, are pretty far out there and, and really disturbing. So he, he provides his background, lets people know who he is, and why he did the things he did. What did he do? Well, we don't know completely yet all the details. We know that he shot this pastor in Idaho— and I believe he shot the pastor eight times. Pastor's still alive, uh, but he certainly intended to kill him. So here's how the manifesto starts out. It starts out and says, who is Kyle Odom? Born and raised in North Idaho, grew up in a loving family, joined the Marine Corps after high school, developed an interest in science, went to school for a degree in biochemistry, won numerous scholarships and awards, graduated magna cum laude, then got invited to prestigious university to work on genetics. As you can see, I'm pretty smart. I'm also 100% sane, 0% crazy. All right. Red flag right away. <laughs> when you need to highlight that you're not crazy, that's probably not a good thing. Well, and we're all a little bit over 0% crazy. Like, that's we've all right. got a little crazy. That's us. right. <laughs> and crazy people don't think they're crazy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, so so that that's not saying anything. They don't come say, oh, I, I've known a few crazy people and uh, clinically insane people. And uh, of course, they're they're the ones who are sane and everybody else is crazy. But OK, so then Kyle has a section in this manifesto called Why Did He Do It? Again, we don't know exactly what everything is that he did besides this one shooting. But later on in this, he says that he killed people. And he killed them. Well, we'll get into that in a little bit. But why did he do it? My life was ruined. Ruined by an intelligent species of amphibian humanoids from Mars. I wish I was joking. Keep reading. They were here long before we ever existed. Their technology is millions of years more advanced than ours. I've seen them do things that defy all comprehension. They have a massive breeding stock of humans, which they breed and control from birth. They use these humans to live vicarious lives among us. They appear to be completely normal because they're good at imitating human behavior. The actual Martians live deep underground here and inside of the moon. Notice these Martians don't live on Mars. They live here and on the moon. Go figure. 
They take control of wild human beings and use them as sex slaves. Don't believe me? Ask President Obama to take a lie detector on this one. So he uh, is under the assumption that President Obama is being controlled by these Martians and has been for a long time. So that's when he gets down to his message that he uh, tried to deliver to President Obama, basically telling Obama to be strong and stand up to these, these bully Martians. But he goes on. They tried to take me, but they were unable to control my mind. They've been following me ever since. I tried everything to get my life back. I begged, I bargained, and I threatened. Everything I tried to do was sabotaged. I attempted suicide twice, but they stopped me both times. My last resort was to take actions that would bring this to the public's attention. His story is long and takes lots of twists and turns. We're not going to go through the whole thing right now. But basically, he tells the story of being a college student after his time in the military. And from the very beginning, he says he was stressed due to the intensity of his schedule, so he searched for a way to cope. All right, so already you've got stress, something that can bring on all sorts of interesting things in your mind. So he tried to cope by meditating. He found meditation, and he said that became a part of his daily routine. It helped him. He became more interested in consciousness and our ability to affect it. So he kept working on his meditation technique and was able to achieve extreme states of consciousness. And he claims that during one of these extreme states of consciousness, he encountered another being. He felt that he shouldn't be there. He, wasn't, he didn't belong. He sort of, sort of cracked this entry into a world uh, he wasn't allowed to be in. He tried to remove himself, but then the being was like really nice to him. He felt euphoric and comfortable and blissful, and it altered his life. But he woke up, he felt he was forced out of this wonderful experience, and he had tears like he just lost somebody close to him. And that's interesting because he achieved this wonderful state. He encountered a, a, some sort of being, and it was a wonderful experience, and he felt love and everything. Then why do these things target him, and it becomes this thing that makes him want to end his life? Well, he claims that he wasn't really supposed to be there. These things realized he got there and they wanted to make sure that he didn't tell people about it, blah, blah, blah. There are lots of holes in these stories. These Martians, as he calls them, start encountering him everywhere he goes. And they look just like you and me, just humans that he encounters at school and in church, and they communicate telepathically. They uh, stimulate him sexually. Both men and women stimulate him because they act out their sexual fantasies in his mind. He tried to commit suicide. He checked himself into the mental ward at the VA hospital. Um, if he had no mental problems, why do that? Especially since he claimed that these beings could uh, get to him anywhere. Well, first of all, he claims that finding this other realm and encountering this being in his meditation opened something in his brain and made him super smart. When he started doing post-grad work for a doctorate degree, he found it all too easy. Everything was just very simple to him. He was finding flaws in his professor's work, and he just wasn't challenged. So he decided to not do, not pursue uh, his work in genetics because it was all too easy for him. Okay. 
that's uh that's also a red flag there <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean i think we all even if uh you know we all like to be challenged and we like to learn new things but going through his his education pursuing his degrees and wanting to you know change the world and and improve humanity and do these wonderful things with genetics um one would think that going through the motions and getting the degree and then doing the work you want to do would make sense and it would be nice especially since he's somebody who gets stressed with a course load having the courses be easy would be a blessing in disguise you know <laughs> just get the courses over with and then go on and change the world but no he decided that uh it was too easy he wasn't challenged these people were dumb so not going to do it and you know he was getting harassed by these martians and he thinks they were doing it because they didn't want him to be able to change the world and uh so they were they were keeping him down and <laughs> all this mm. and they stopped him from killing himself twice one would think that if they really wanted to stop him they would have let him kill himself why keep him alive just for their sexual pleasure inside his head Lots of really weird stuff. He goes on to say that Martians influence the Bible. There is no God. They've been here all along. Oh, man, it just goes on and on. You should read it. You can find it online. There's 47 pages of everything inside this guy's head. He also, like I alluded to at the beginning, says that he, the people he's killed weren't people. They were Martians, so it's okay. But that raises the question again. Did he kill people? Yeah. <laughs> Who was out there that he killed that we don't know about? I'm assuming that when he wrote this, one of those people he's talking about was the pastor because he tried to kill him. And when he fled, he assumed that he killed the pastor, which I would think so too, after shooting the guy eight times. But uh, that didn't, he didn't succeed at that. But he does say people. Um, yeah. So who else is out there that he killed that we don't know about? Really I th- I, alarming, disturbing stuff. And, uh, you know, he just goes on to say that, you know, he's completely sane. He's this really brilliant guy. You know, he had to go to these extreme measures so people will believe him. Yeah. I mean, it's scary. And hopefully they'll they'll do a lot of investigation and, and start, you know, uh, digging up his backyard or something to see, you know, if, if people uh, have actually been victims of this murderous thought even if he's thinking he's killing killing aliens uh it doesn't really appear that that's the case and this is one of those sad stories where um it gets a lot of news media for obvious reasons um but it it's one of those setbacks to the ufo field you know there there are a lot of uh, credible things about the field and people in it and then you have these other people who are clearly mentally disturbed who have um, taken on this persona to where they're now like actively uh, violent um, because they strongly believe that uh, aliens are out there. Another point I find very interesting in the story is that he doesn't actually think that Barack Obama is an alien like so many of the other people um, <laughs> That's right. who think he's a reptilian alien. They believe he's he believes he's controlling. Uh, being controlled by these people. Mm-hmm. But he does not accuse him of being a reptilian. Yeah, I found that interesting too. Yeah, a lot of the conspiracy theorists who buy into this claim of reptilians or amphibians or any of these overlords here on Earth running humanity, uh, yeah, definitely list Obama and other presidents 
as uh, being part of this grand conspiracy and either in cahoots or uh, or actually one of these evil overlords. And this guy goes on to say that uh, Obama is being bullied by them, as was FDR and, and JFK. Um, interesting, you know, unique take on <laughs> a lot of the lore that uh, we've heard before from people. But it, it's interesting. And mental illness is is really serious and really scary. And it's hard to understand. But, you know, we all, well, maybe I'm proving right now that I'm crazy, but, you know, we all have a voice in our heads that, you know, is our conscious maybe or whatever it is that uh, we, we talk to ourselves sometimes. You know, you're sitting on a subway or sitting and, and looking at somebody across from you and you at least perceive they're making a face at you or they look at you in a funny way and inside you're saying, that asshole – he, he thinks I'm ugly or, you know, whatever you're looking at. He probably a, does looking at a girl and you're all, <laughs> she's laughing at me. She thinks I'm ugly. She wants me to kill myself, mm-hmm. uh, whatever. And, you know, some people interpret that to be communication from obviously an alien. And then they see different things. And this guy pointed out that they were all these people that are Martians sniff. You know, we saw them sniffing. Mm-hmm. So don't sniff anybody. If you sniff, you're an alien and some crazy person's going to kill you. I mean, it's really, really sad to see that somebody can be that that suggestible in their own head and sort of invent this whole grand conspiracy of things that has just been something created inside his mind. Nothing was ever I, verbally said to him. It's just all things that he somehow made up in his head. This almost feels a little bit like a copycat case of the guy who just died um, in California that had all those guns and was yeah. uh, guns and money and was claiming that the aliens were uh, a part of that. It's, mm-hmm. I mean, it's scary. Got to be careful these days. There have been some Absolutely. other other similar stories like this that I've seen recently, and it's yeah, it's really disturbing, really alarming, and you know, you don't want to say that. What if there were, you know, an evil alien? race and something crazy like this happened like would it get dismissed right away or or you know would anybody ever consider anything like this seriously because there have been so many crazy cases like this of of obvious mental illness and i would like to think that in some cases it could be actually investigated and, and looked into the possibility but in a case like this there are just so many obvious red flags and so many contradictions in his story it doesn't make a lick of sense absolutely i mean this is clear signs of either you know a sociopath or a psychopath as yeah. it were i mean it's sad because it it's pretty interesting, guys, because I'm reading I'm reading this book right now called "The Greys Have Been Framed: Exploitation <laughs> in the UFO Community." Wow! You know, and I was scoffing at this book by Jack Brewer. You know, oh, this guy's a complete debunker, a skeptic. You know, but the more I read, the more I started to. It was startling how many connections this guy made to what humans are willing to blame on aliens. You look at stuff like the Heaven's Gate cult or um, all these UFO cults, or you wonder if this guy in Idaho, you know, read something by the late Mac Tonys about the crypto terrestrials, something we, um, you know, we, we take some stock in, in terms of folkloric or mythological evidence, but it's, um, it's certainly possible. And, you know, I, yeah. I, that's why I really dislike people out there who, you know, even if in their minds, it's the truth, but 
trying to preach to people and tell them about some grand conspiracy or some secret alien group doing this and yeah. you know just providing answers and telling people this is how it is because we don't know and they're just making something up and there are people out there willing to believe anything they're told. It so is dangerous. Just, yeah. It's so dangerous and people eat this stuff up and it just becomes gospel to them. Their, they, their minds close around this one idea that somebody fed them and uh, it, it's really dangerous and I see a lot of that in the UFO field and it's scary. Mm-hmm. Well, enough fear for one day. Let's move on. <laughs> in our effort to provide a modern introduction to the UFO phenomenon for a new generation, on each episode of UFO Mod Pod, we highlight a historical UFO case. And today we're highlighting the UFO incident that spawned the notorious swamp gas explanation. On March 14, 1966, over 100 witnesses, including police officers in Washtenaw County, witnessed a massive oblong-shaped object for over four hours as it maneuvered near the University of Michigan campus, a nearby airport, and a local swamp. It soon disappeared out of sight. Three days later, two Washtenaw County Sheriff's deputies, Sergeant Neil Schneider and Deputy David Fitzpatrick, saw four red, white, and green circular objects oscillating and glowing in a nearby area. They contacted the local airport, who could not confirm anything on radar. Only hours later, another similar object was spotted by a nearby farm. County Sheriff Douglas Harvey ordered all available deputies to the scene. Six patrol cars, two men in each, and three detectives surrounded the area, eventually attempting to chase this object. Deputy Sheriff Buford Bushrow also observed it. He was quoted as saying, We turned around and started following it for five miles. It was headed west, and we stopped. We lost it in the trees. Either the lights went off, or it took off with a tremendous burst of speed. It was about 1,500 feet above the ground. It moved along at about 100 miles per hour. We were doing about 70 miles per hour before we lost it. The Detroit News carried the stories the next day, including witness drawings and hundreds of similar accounts by the locals. As the days went on, more sightings began to flood in. It became clear that this small Michigan town was causing the UFO uproar. Eventually, the Air Force got involved, sending UFO investigator and astronomer J. Allen Hynek, working under the official Project Blue Book umbrella. After hearing the many accounts and visiting the areas of the sightings, he was quick to dismiss the activity as nothing more than swamp gas. Hynek stated that, quote, the lights resemble tiny flames, sometimes seen right on the ground, sometimes merely floating above it. The flames go out in one place and suddenly appear in another, giving the illusion of motion. The colors are sometimes yellow, red, and blue and green. These were exact colors that most of the witnesses had claimed to have seen attached to the objects. Heineck went on to explain that, quote, swamp gas usually has no smell, but sounds like this small popping explosion similar to a gas burning igniting. The gas forms from decomposition of vegetation. It seems likely that at the present spring thaws came, the gases methane, hydrogen sulfide, and phosphine resulted from decomposition of organic materials and were released. Many were outraged by Heineck's assertions stating that it was a ridiculous explanation and couldn't account for the solid objects being seen that connected these lights. Many local officials and pilots went on the record, including commercial pilot Van Horn, who stated, quote, I know more about swamp gas than Mr. Hynek. He unprofessionally ignored the reports that the lights moved and that there was a convex surface between the lights. Van Horn also added 
that because of Hynek's haphazard conclusion, a lot of good people are being ridiculed. Despite the contention, Michigan boasted hundreds of more UFO sightings as the years went on, calls being rerouted to nearby Suffrage Air Force Base. By 1968, they were receiving two or three reports of UFO sightings per week. Whatever happened in Michigan in 1966 remains a mystery to those who disregard J. Allen Hynek's swamp gas theory, and Michigan remains one of the most heavily reported areas of UFO activity, even up until today. Now, this is such an important case because uh, it's a huge string of sightings, and then we had, you know, Gerald Ford, who uh, became the 38th president, but um, he actually called for a committee to investigate uh, this sighting in depth because he was not satisfied with um, Hynek's statement of swamp gas and thought it was uh, somewhat disrespectful to the people who saw um, these objects because how could it be swamp gas? So, I mean, <laughs> that that's a pretty big thing where you have uh, the then at the time congressman saying, no, let's take this seriously. Uh, I think the public deserves it. What was going on there and uh, how can we get a better explanation? Um, I've personally investigated uh, around Lake Michigan well, a couple years ago, and it's amazing how many people who have had sightings over Lake Michigan uh, and over the state. It's astounding. And whether a lot of those have natural or um, conventional explanations, who knows? But, but the fact of the matter is there's a large quantity of sightings reported and there's um, a lot of weird, like people call it the Bermuda Triangle sort of of UFOs in, in the U.S. because there's a lot of uh, unusual plane and boat uh, accidents and um, missing ships and things like that. It's, it's kind of interesting. But again, Lake Michigan's so huge, it's like an ocean. So maybe it's having typical um, unusual behavior. Maybe it's pumping out a lot of swamp gas. <laughs> maybe maybe it's just like a really extreme swamp gas accident causing ships to uh yeah fall to the depths well yeah. you, you know the swamp gas thing is is funny and it's funny that it came from Heineck because it did some damage and contributed to i think a lot of the ridicule factor and i think a lot of the the official air force investigations did that and you know Heineck later and and others involved in the studies pointed out the frustration of kind of the role that they really served in that, mm -hmm. you know, just adding ridicule and, and kind of making fun of people and pointing out that, oh, yeah, UFOs are stupid. There's nothing to see here. When, in fact, that seemed to be their, their motive all along was to make fun of it, to downplay it, to get it out of the public spotlight. And they did a really good job at that. Because like with Ford and other people, there were people who – noticed that it was being made light of a serious subject and uh that was a problem but didn't stop the air force and i think uh, those studies really contributed to the bulk of the problem with ufos today absolutely i mean we between weather balloons and swamp gas these are the two major you know explanations by the air force for most ufo events um what's more interesting is that even as J.L. and Hynek uh, 
started to become more of a believer in the possible ET hypothesis, this is still one case that he, to this day, remains steadfast on saying that it was swamp gas. So that's pretty interesting as well that, you know, no matter what his beliefs are now, he will not sway from that. um, Well, that'd be interesting to find out what his beliefs are, but I think that would take a little digging. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Well, our guest on the show today is Mike DeMonte, a music and entertainment journalist and the author of Punk Rock and UFOs, Cryptozoology Meets Anarchy. Mike, I've really been looking forward to uh, talking with you since I found your book. So I'm really excited for today. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Oh, I appreciate it. Um, I'm really stoked that uh, people are are interested in it. So that's really cool. Absolutely. So the book we're talking about has to have the coolest title ever. It's called Punk Rock and UFOs, Cryptozoology Meets Anarchy. And I was taken with this right away. I don't even remember how I found it. I think I was on Amazon or something and I found it. But Punk Rock and UFOs, two of my favorite things. So <laughs> let's let's start with the most basic, and everybody gets tired of this question, but I, I've got to ask you, since this is the first time we're talking, when did you first, I guess, get interested in, in UFOs? Um, well, uh, when I was a kid, um, my mom used to get me the, the Time Life uh, book series. It was like yeah, a yeah. book of the month type thing. And they were all like, I think there's like mysterious places, strange phenomenons, uh, UFOs. Uh, like undiscovered creatures, they all had like different names to them. And at a really young age, I was just like enamored with it. Um, I loved that stuff from the start, and uh, I never really stopped like getting into it. You know, I just you know, uh, I think as as I got older, um, I'll just read more on it, and I was always enamored with it. Um, but uh, I didn't really dive full into it till probably a teenager. Um, but just as a kid, those books kind of sparked my interest in the unknown. Then punk rock. So I, I can see is. this. You. Uh... You're an entertainment journalist, and uh, you write for the Houston Chronicle. Do you write for other outlets or just the Houston Chronicle? Um, so I worked at the Houston Chronicle uh, as a contract and salary for about six years. Okay. Um, now I'm freelance. I actually teach full-time now, but I still do a blog for them. I still write for them. Um, during that time, like I covered like music journalists. Um, I covered you know, some of the bands we talked about before we went on there, like Blink-182, you know, um, Ackline Trio, Bad Religion, uh, like a lot of punk rock bands I covered because no one else really – covered them. So I kind of got to do that, which is really awesome. That's really um, awesome. And I, I'm, I'm a little jealous, I will admit. I mean, I was a, a concert producer and I, I owned a venue for a while. So I worked with a lot of bands uh, over the years. But, uh, you know, a lot of my big idols, I, I still have not met. And uh, <laughs> man, Bad Religion is one of them. So very uh-huh. cool. So all cool. right. So we've got UFOs and we've got punk rock. What the hell do those have to do with each other? Um, I really like that question because like everyone, all my friends would like when I told my friends the title, they're like, like, wait, what? How's this gonna work? And automatically, people will assume punk rock like the music, but it's more punk rock the attitude, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I always tell people the book basically talks about cryptozoology as an underdog science, and it's kind of like the rebellious nature to believe in that type of stuff. You know, uh, why do we rebel against certain beliefs, right? And but why do we accept others as word? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what. The punk rock and UFOs, that's kind of how it goes together. And uh, the title, Cryptozoology Meets Anarchy, um, that was really influenced by uh, Greg Graffin from uh, Bad Religion. He's an author, too. And I always thought his titles had really cool, creative uh, spins on them. And I definitely kind of, the title of this book was influenced by his books. I, I could tell that you're influenced by him, especially in the book when you talk about the process of belief. 
Yeah, there you go. Yeah, you caught that. See, there's a bunch of little like nods of punk rock songs in there. That, yeah. Like now that I'm really cool that you're savvy enough to get that. That's awesome. And I love that you also include in this a playlist. Yeah. <laughs> um, that was like so when I was talking to my publisher, I wanted to make it like kind of where it was accessible to everyone and have like little cool things like like a starter pack, like you know a playlist. Uh, glossary, you know, just basic stuff for people who have no idea what this stuff's about. Because I knew a lot of people are going to be reading it. It's the first time they're reading anything about this. Yeah. Especially a lot of my friends who are just buying it, you know, to be supportive. So I kind of want to give them, you know, a little, you know, a little something to give them some knowledge. And the playlist was just kind of for fun because originally I pitched it as kind of like a coffee table book, like something you would find at Urban Outfitters or something like that. So the playlist was fitting, I thought. I think it fits perfectly, you know, when you're going after people who like both punk rock, the music and UFOs. It's amazing. So that, that definitely made me smile when I saw that. Um, all right. So as your time as a journalist and speaking with a lot of cool punk rock bands, have you ever talked with any of these bands about UFOs? Unfortunately, I haven't. Like I, it's such a missed opportunity. Cause like, I didn't think about writing the book at, you know, when I was doing those interviews, yeah. like we said earlier, I, I've interviewed Tom Belange before um, about three different times. One time backstage at an Angel and Airwave show for about 12, 15 minutes. It was a really good interview. But I didn't think at the time, you know, this was 2008. I didn't know, you know, fast forward eight, nine years later, I'd be writing a book about this stuff, you know. Yeah. And the other times I interviewed him was kind of just about Blink and stuff. And uh, Greg Raffin, that would have been a great opportunity, too. And I interviewed him. Uh, I worked to run his bus. But once again, I wish I could go back in time because, like, he'd be a great uh, – He'd be a great quote. Uh, Dexter Holland, I think, from The Offspring, you know, just because his education, Milo Ackerman from The Descendants. Like, I wish those people, I wish I interviewed those two. Because originally the, the goal of the book was to get quotes from Tom, uh, Greg, and a few others. But mm-hmm. eventually, as, the, as I, I had roadblocks getting those interviews, mm-hmm. and the more I wrote it, I kind of just, the, the way the book was going, I was like, you know what? I want the book to stand on its own. Like, I just thought the, like, the ideas in the book, I thought, would just kind of just do better on their own um, without the uh, punk rock musician take on it just because uh, then it once again would be coming to like, well, is it punk rock music or punk rock the attitude? So it kind of, the, the book kind of evolved. Originally I was going to try to get all these quotes from people in the, in the punk rock community, but it just kind of evolved to something, something different, kind of what it is now where it's uh, it asks a lot of questions and there's a lot of theories. Well, there's always uh, book number two, <laughs> maybe <laughs> you've, you've got plenty of ideas there and plenty of content to go to yeah it would be cool to hear from some of those guys especially the ones you mentioned who are who are uh, well-educated and academics themselves like greg Raffin and dexter holland yeah that'd be fascinating that's something that has always intrigued me and something that i've wanted to do is sit down and, and talk with musicians about this topic because uh there are so many who are vocal about it but uh, so many who probably haven't been asked about it, yeah. um, you know, and in a serious setting. I mean, everybody talks about UFOs and a lot of people, you know, kind of joke about it and stuff. But when you get them in the, in the proper situation and let them know that, yeah, you're, you're being serious about it, they'll open up and be serious too. So Nice. That'd be awesome. Sit down, have some beers with some punk rockers and talk to UFOs. <laughs> that is my perfect idea of, of happiness. Yeah. Same here. It's a, it's a hashtags uh, life goal. Right? That's right. Life goals. Yeah. Well, Mike, where can people go to buy your book? Um, well, right now it's it's on Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com. Um, physically, we like to get them in stores. Um, the the publisher it's a it's a Houston based company, but they have distribution everywhere. 
And the cool thing about the book, it's on print on demand, meaning if you order one on Barnes Noble or Amazon, uh, the next day it'll print it and it'll be shipped out like a day later. So that's, that's awesome. the cool thing about it. And um, the uh, Amazon, it, it sold out quite a few times. Um, I'm not sure they ordered a, a large amount, but they'd have to they'd have to refill their order quite a few times, which is a good sign. So that is, yeah, I'm glad to glad to hear people are interested. Glad to hear people are are taking the time to read it. And I love this approach, Mike. I I, I hope it appeals to people and uh, you know piques some some interest, uh, not just for people who who like punk rock, but uh, I think your approach to this is really cool. And I do like that that punk rock attitude. Um, and pairing that with UFOs because it's so fitting. I'm so glad I found your book. It's really cool, a fun read, and uh, glad we got to catch up, Mike, and we'll have to have you on the show again. Thanks so much for coming on. Oh, dude, thank you so much for, number one, reading the book, uh, doing this podcast, and uh, I'd, I'd be down to go on anytime. Anytime you want to talk anything, I'm down. I'm in. Thank you so much. As always, if you have a UFO sighting or story you want to share with us, we'd love to hear it. Use the contact form on our website, RoguePlanet.tv, and send those to us. UFO Mod Pod can always be found on RoguePlanet.tv. We're also on Stitcher, iTunes, and other places as well. Subscribe to the show on iTunes and leave a stellar review if you enjoy the show. And if you like getting newsletters, sign up for our free strange newsletter at RoguePlanet.tv. Thanks again to Mike DeMonte for hanging out with us today, and thank you for joining us for this episode of UFO Mod Pod. I'm Jason McClellan. I'm Ryan Sprague. And I'm Maureen Ellsbury. And remember, the next time you think you see an alien, ask questions first.